What up, what up? This is Unscripted on the Serato Twitch channel. Um, I'm your host, Matt Perry, aka Cut Corners. And um, yeah, this is what we do every now and then. We have a, a great guest come on the show and we get to talk about music for a whole hour and a bit. Um, and this week's guests, I'm very, very excited to introduce you, are an innovative duo. Both have incredible careers on their own, which kind of makes them a super group. Um, I'm very pleased to uh, welcome to the show Jake One and Mayor Hawthorne, who together make Tuxedo. Please welcome to them, them to the show. What up? What up? <laughs> Hell yeah! Applause! <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we man, got. Man, I'm fucking up. Yo, I need that applause button for my show. Man, this is already making my show look so unprofessional. <laughs> we got a lot of we got a lot of sounds. We got the air horn. Yeah, we're gonna. But but do you got do you? The thing you don't have though is the hoe button, which is the thing that you really need the most. <laughs> Damn, is that? Let me see if I can get it. Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely the need that. Hoe button. Yo, we need a recording. We'll of that send for you. Sure. We'll send. We'll get one in the mail to you, ASAP. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, what's yeah. up, guys? It's great to have you on the show. Um, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely fucks with the tux, and uh, I'm, I'm here to get into the history. A little bit of the history for for the people. We got a lot of DJs that tune into the show, and I'm sure a lot of the DJs already been running your tracks. I know I have, but um, one of the first things actually I wanted to get into was a, is about DJing, and I heard uh, that you guys actually started collaborating via a series of mixtapes. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about like what those mixtapes can like how you guys got in, into the idea of doing a mixtape collaboration, or how you guys heard of each other even? I don't have you, Jake. You're, you're, uh, we can't hear you. Oh, you've muted yourself. Let's, uh, let's get you back in here somehow. There we go. No. One, two. One, two, one, two. This is already going really well. <laughs> it's all good. Let's just give a, a moment. Um, do you want to come back in on the call there, uh, Jake? Just join that link again. All right. I'll uh me in the meantime I can uh, kind of talk about the mixtape thing. Um, we actually didn't. It was two individual mixtapes. So we we met at a at a hip hop show, a rap show in Seattle where Jake lives, and we exchanged mixtapes backstage, but I had, a had done this mixtape called shoot the duck. That was all like, um, basically like early eighties roller disco boogie jams. And then Jake had done this mixtape called AR music. And I was like fully expecting him to give me a mixtape of, I was like, Oh, this is Jake one great beat writer. And I was like, this guy's going to give me a mixtape. It's going to be all like rap beats. And there was no rap on it at all. It was all like early 80s boogie funk stuff. And I just, at the time, it's very hard to understand now in 2021 what it was like in 2008 or what when even maybe earlier than that it might have it might have been like 2006 or 7 i think 2006 or 7 or something yeah nobody cared about disco funk then like nobody it was not cool 
It it was more like uh, uh, early like uh, early seventies funk, like Cut Chemist and them guys what they were doing with the that type stuff. So I think like Gap yeah, that Man was cool. Jason type stuff was not looked at as cool. I mean, I used to get in arguments with people on Soul Strike about this back in the day. Uh, yeah, you know it 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 was like very much like that's not the real funk. You know, like right because it wasn't recorded on you know four track or whatever. It was not cool, and all those records were in the dollar bin. Oh yeah, at the time, and we were just—I don't know—I—I I had ne- at the time I had never met another person who was like into this kind of music, and I was like, "Holy shit!" There's another person on the earth that actually cares about <laughs> this like early '80s weird like kind of post-disco funk. It was—it was, it was and- really. Yeah, it was like the guy really like when we would bid on records, even like like the rare versions <laughs> of these things, just French guys. Right. Like that's all that we'd be battling with on eBay or wherever I was getting it. Those are the only people who really cared a lot, you know. And right. and they put me onto a lot of stuff because I'd see what they would bid up. I'm like, oh, I need to buy this, man. They, if they because I just trusted their taste after a while. Right, you right. Know? The French funky. Absolutely. <laughs> Was there a specific record that you guys found like that was uh, really quintessential to that sound for you or that you bonded over? I think a lot of it came from, um, I mean, like like that that era of funk's like the first music I really remember. So, you know, I knew the popular groups when I was a little kid, Cameo and Gap Band. And I mean, that stuff is like the soundtrack to me being five, six, seven years old. Everybody was playing that. Um, now, later on, once G-Funk happened and then, Warren G sampling one way or, you know what I mean? Like, and not like the obvious yeah. ones, they would like flip something that was like a little off kilter, not a hit. Um, it just, it just piqued my ear and I just got into it a lot more for that reason. Or, you know, battle cat redoing like a random Ray Parker jr. That wasn't a single, wasn't the hit, you know, for corrupt. Like I just thought that was so dope. And uh, that kind of sparked my interest in it. And then we just started looking for like, Oh, well, Bobby Broom, I don't really like this one album. He has more jazz, but he did a later album that's more like, you know, Bernard Wright, basically. Um, yeah. So it was like, you know, finding like the one or two joints every artist did during that era, because they all end up making a record like that at some point, you know. Right. Um, there's one artist actually in particular that I was wondering if you guys, uh, maybe Mary, you can speak on being from Detroit, is uh, Kevin McCord. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, one of these guys, one of these composers that seems to have a lot of tracks with a lot of different artists, um, like you know, uh, what's her name, uh, Alicia, um, Alicia Myers, Alicia Myers. Yeah, he's produced her for her, and then he did the the, the other one with. Um, oh man, I'm I'm totally gapping here, but I mean all, all the one way stuff. I mean, he, that's right. He did a lot. Yeah, I mean, and even like there's yeah. independent ones he did after. Yeah, Carmen, uh, I think, is the one I'm thinking of, Time to Move. Right, Carmen, right. Yeah. yeah. Throw down. So, and there was another girl that he did named Candy. Candy. With a yeah. Y. And yeah. I remember, I will never forget buying a copy of the Candy LP in a record store in Detroit. And I got it home, and I, like, pulled the record out, and Kevin McCord's business card <laughs> fell out of there. <laughs> And I still, I still have, I have Kevin McCord's like OG business card. Wow. Yeah. Shout out Kevin McCord. I know I actually met, I got a chance to meet him when I was in Detroit a few years ago. He's still, still around. Oh, wow. Um, 
but yeah, his his legacy, uh, I feel like, is really a big part of that sound, that uh, that eighties funk sound. Um, yeah, he, he was, had uh, a way he's of definitely like, in it. He just had a way of doing like a real simple bass line with just like two chords, but it always worked. Like it was always immediately infectious. Like hip hop, you know, like his stuff sounds like hip hop, you know, really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, actually I was able to find some of uh that that AR4 mix uh, on Soul Strut that you're talking about there Jake when I'm going right. to try and get it in the chat. Um but I uh, while I'm while I'm trying to figure that out um I wasn't able to find any any mixes by DJ Haircut unfortunately. Oh no, we lost Mayor just as I was about to talk about ah! Haircut. Let's get him back. Um I but, I have this, I still have the CD somewhere. Oh yeah. It's like a girl on the front like wearing roller skates like uh doing this move or whatever. Um I think he might. Yeah, he's he's on the cover. I think too. <laughs> um, I, uh, he's, he's coming back. Here we go. There we go. We were just my so- bad. My bad, you guys. I got I got a phone call and got cut out for a minute. Of course, nobody nobody want to call me all day long. <laughs> and then as soon as I get on the interview, hey, they want to blow me up. It's all good. We were just getting into the the legacy of of DJ Haircut. I was saying I couldn't find any mixtapes from DJ Haircut. <laughs> yeah, that was like the the I did a couple volumes of the Shoot the Duck thing that was like all the roller boogie stuff. But I wasn't. Nobody cared about DJ Haircut. Nobody. Were, were you on, in my bucket, or you were on the cover of one of them though too? Right. I was on the cover of. There was the girl them. doing the the thing with yeah. her leg in the air with the roller skates on. And you're on the yeah, cover, exactly. right? Yeah, right, I, I mean, got, I yeah, I was in the shot. Nice. <laughs> um, but the and the, the other one I jacked the high fashion album cover with the right, girl doing right, her makeup right, right, in the mirror. Right. <laughs> Classic. Um, I do, however, want to show you guys something that I did find um, just related to haircut. Very briefly, that I was able when I did Google search for DJ haircut, I did find this. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> It's uh, in the L.A. area. Uh, it's DJs all about hair. So um, if you are looking for a haircut and you're a DJ, this might be the spot if you're in the L.A. area. Everybody uh, everybody would ask me, like, they would just kind of assume that since my name was DJ Haircut that I cut hair. And I would always have to just be like, man, yeah, I don't, my bad. Like, I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a DJ. <laughs> I have to say though, you always got a fresh cut, always looking good on the hair. So uh, you know, I see where it comes from. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think that was kind of where where it came from originally. But somebody, they, my my group that I was in, I was the DJ for a rap group in Detroit, and they named me DJ Haircut. Oh, it wasn't even a a choice. It just just got put up on you. I think I just I showed up to rehearsal one day, and and I had just come from the barber and had the clean i mean i used to get like lines in my hair and shit and at, <laughs> and i came back i came to rehearsal that day and they were like oh you need your haircut now <laughs> and that was just it that's awesome um but yeah. you you do do mixes like you did the the very merry xmas mix for uh stone throw and you also got the hawthorne radio series can you just like tell me a little yeah. bit about like what you what you're trying to achieve with the the Hawthorne Radio? Like you got like fifty odd episodes up right now. Yeah, I did a, a million of those. That was basically me just trying to like do my own um, like imaginary radio show because I got kind of like obsessed with um, 
these like vintage they call them air checks oh yeah from like from like the 60s and 70s and they would it was like literally them like testing the network to make sure that everything was working okay but they would just record the radio broadcast from like WKRP in whatever Toledo Ohio for an hour and there's like a group of people that trade them on the internet and it's like it's amazing yeah just like being being able to listen to an hour of radio from like 1978 or whatever is just like incredible to me and then i was like nobody there this just doesn't exist anymore and i was that initially it started with me trying to like kind of just create my own like imaginary old school radio radio hour Oh man! And then, yeah, now I've kind of like transitioned into doing the wine and vinyl thing, where I do it live. The um the air checks so though you're talking about um specifically, you guys yeah cool I got you there um was uh was something that I wouldn't mind actually just talking about. My my father was a radio D, a radio DJ from New Zealand, and he no used wow. to do these uh air he used to, used to do an air check. He would travel to Los Angeles or New York and. He'd do like research, and he'd go to a, and he'd re- record on the on the air for an hour, basically exactly what you're saying, Mayor. And he had these these cassette tapes of like what what the wave is, I guess now, uh, from back in the '80s. And just to your point, you listen to those mixes, and you're hearing DJs like the uh, the development of blends and DJing and songs that you know they only exist on vinyl. They're only like these these kind of songs that will never ever be released properly for whatever legal reasons, and they're it's incredible. Yeah, I, I found out a bunch of, like, I found out about a bunch of amazing songs that I never had heard before from these things. Like, because it's just, man, they used to just play whatever local cool thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just, like, doesn't exist anymore. There's nothing like that. Absolutely. It, it is cool, though. Like, I was talking to um, a while on this podcast ago. We talked to J-Rock, who I know you guys know very well as well. And he yeah, talked yeah, a lot about about LA radio and how oh, it really yeah. affected him um, as as a youth and influenced him as a DJ. It's it's really great to hear how it also affected you guys and how important it is for your your development as DJs. Um, yeah. Can can you just tell me a little bit a, a bit about like what DJing means for you both and and what you what you guys like to try and achieve as DJs? Um, I think for me. Um... I started off as a DJ before I even started making beats. And I think I realized early on, like what I thought a DJ was supposed to be doing wasn't what the people wanted. Cause what I wanted was people to play new music that, you know, I wanted to be put up on something. That was what I was hoping for. Um, and you know, some of my early gigs, I would go up there and play. I'm like, I got, but I got this song you don't know. And it's so dope. They would not care. So, um, I kind of fell back from it from a long time. Like I'll DJ every once in a while, but it's, it's just something like, I feel like I don't, I've never really was going to be the person playing the song you wanted to hear when you came in there. Um, that wasn't really about the DJs that I grew up loving. They didn't do that. They put me up on music. So like, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird, you know, there's certain people who can really pull that off. I mean, J rock, probably the best I've ever seen it going into a room. And playing yeah. songs that they are not there to hear, yeah. but he makes them. He's so good at DJing; he gets them into he's it. He's so good. Um, yeah. And I've definitely never made it to that level of DJing, but I respect it, and I wish that's what I could do. 
we do our own version of that when we DJ as Tuxedo. Thousand percent. Yeah. Because we definitely are playing, you know, Rick James, give it to me, baby, and you know, whatever, zap, uh, you know, more bounce to the ounce. But then in between there, we're playing some very obscure gospel boogie thing that like nobody came for, but you're getting it anyway. Well, even that's what we even wanted. like when we play like uh, you know, give it to me, baby, like we did our own remix of that that we play. You know, right. we don't just like. I don't know. It's to me, it's like anybody could be the person playing the hit songs. Like, so if you're coming to see us and you you're to me, you should be coming to see something that you're not going to get from everybody else. Um, and what's yeah. cool about tuxedo and like our DJ gigs is people are there to hear that. So it's not like you're playing for, you know, drunk party goers on a Friday. that are just like, man, I just want to kick it. Don't ruin my night with your bullshit. <laughs> right, you right, know? So like, right. It, it works. It works out for all of us, I think. It works well for us. Yeah, we we are extremely fortunate that we've gotten to a place now where people are coming to see us DJ and play what we like. <laughs> and they're not just coming to get drunk and party. But you if, know, I if mean, you, I just you... can't imagine if they threw me up on like Friday night or whatever the hot club is like what would transpire it, i mean it'd be a good social experiment i guess but um, <laughs> i just would have no clue on what to do uh, yeah i mean the main the main goal i mean i the way i've always looked at djing is if you're not making people dance then there's something you're fucking up like you're right. doing it wrong yeah absolutely but this Rick James Tuxedo remix, uh, where where can one procure this? Uh, is this a, an only exclusive to the Tuxedo sh Live we, DJ set? We scene? have many, many remixes that we made. There's that we so only many. DJ. Now, that particular one, they had actually Universal was going to put it out, and then the guy who was making that happen left, which is kind of wow. the story of like what a lot of these big companies. Um, yeah. I, I, we are actually working... Um, on a couple of new uh, tuxedo remixes that are going to get put out officially of classics, which is exciting that they kind of came to me to do. So um, that'll be coming soon. And that's like exciting that, you know, people get to hear them. Though part of me is selfish and I just want to have it from when we play. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll just have we'll to make, let that go. We'll make more. <laughs> yeah. That's dope. I'm excited to hear it. Can you tell us anything about the artist, perhaps? I mean, I don't want to pry too much. Well, the, but... the one that I did already is for um, Fat Larry's band, Act Like You Know. Um, oh, okay. A certified classic. Which is actually owned yeah. by uh, Unidisc in uh, Montreal. So, Hey, shout out Unidisc. Shout out shout Walla Pete. Yeah, yeah. Voyage Fantastique. Yeah, bonjour. Yeah. Those guys are the homies. Yeah. <laughs> bonjour. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, Unidisc, um, as you guys are both avid record collectors, I know that uh, you guys both have tons of records. Um, can you guys tell me about what your favorite format is? Uh, you guys are twelve-inch mixes. You're into the seven inches. You know, sit ten inches. What, what's your what's your what's your pre preferred format for DJing? Uh, as far as DJing, I still like playing the big records personally. Um, I like twelve inches and LPs, but you know when you're traveling and have to play like a vinyl party 45s is kind of really the only way that it kind of makes sense. So I've been, I've been getting off into that a little bit and, you know, they're making such better, um, 45 pieces that you can actually really DJ with them. Um, 
But man, it's you know, you start DJing with forty fives, you know, you're not gonna be DJ Coco up there. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be some some bumps in the road. Um, yeah, so. it's not. It's definitely technically considerably more difficult. But I do. I have definitely personally been like gravitating way more towards the seven inches lately. It's a There's space just thing so too. Much, you know? There, yeah, it's a space thing. It's a weight thing, <laughs> like. We did. We did our time carrying them heavy ass weights around, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm re- I, You know, I love pulling up with like a little tiny case of forty fives and spinning all night off of that. You know, there's something really fun about that. And there's just like certain things that are just only available on seven inch that are For just sure. so unique. I I do notice when we when we play, uh, you know, purely records. In a way, I feel like I'm DJing better because there's so much less stuff to choose from. So I'm more focused on how can I play this the best way, you know, like, and I feel like when I get trapped in computer world, there's too many options and like I freak out sometimes. Um, Well, I think a lot of like we we spend a lot of time usually like before a DJ gig, like if we're going to use Serato, we got paired. We will. We will literally like, pay, like we will make the smallest playlist ever. Yeah. Because if you have too much stuff in your box, you're just it's overwhelming, and you're not gonna be as good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you can stream in Serato now too, so you've got even more unlimited possibilities. Man, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. I'm definitely preparing a set for as as a way to go for me even um, as well. I even got a couple of your your seven inches and a couple of your twelve inches. And I wanted to talk a bit, a bit about those too, actually, um, because you guys have some extended disco 12-inch mixes. One, right. p- one in particular was done by David Morales, Eminem Disco Mix, which is... Uh, yeah, yeah, John Morales. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, John, Morales, that, John yeah. my bad. Thank yeah. you. Um, but yeah, John, I mean, that, I mean that's, that guy's a legend. He's, he's remixed everything. Like, it's all... All, of, all the classic funk records seem to have a, a Morales right. mix. He's more of a legend than anybody even knows. Right. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, it's, it's funny with him. We, um, we liked just the, what he was doing with the Eminem series and how like he had the older songs hitting a lot harder than they did, you know, the, the mixes they did originally. So we first got the tuxedo album done. We were like, man, let's try to get this dude to mix it. So we sent it to him. He probably never listened to it. And then then he was somewhere, and he, he told me the story. Like, oh, somebody was like, yeah, those guys' tuxedo are good, man. You should take that job. And then so then he ended up doing it. But he didn't even know who we were or care. And, you know, he ended up being our friend. Like, and I talk to him all the time. Like, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. Like, he's really family. So it's, it's dope to, like, you know, get his cosign. And he'll let me know, ops, oh, man. I, I don't know about that one. I didn't like that one. I remember when we did the second album. He was like, "This is a lot better than the first album." <laughs> oh, it's good to have people like that, though, right? On, on your I love side. it. You know? yeah. No, he is a no. He's not sugarcoating anything, man. He is. A, <laughs> he's a no nonsense. Like he's giving it to you straight. Like he will tell you if your shit sucks. Wow. I mean, he's probably heard so many records too. I mean, uh, yeah, just yeah. his catalog, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we went to his he, house and even and, and worked on the second album, like mixed it over there. 
Oh wow! So you know, yeah. I got to see his environment, his Axel Foley black, amazing. and you know, yep, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. He's some shit. of the stuff he was part of, like you just would never know. He mixed Hall of Notes. Yeah. What? Which record? He mixed Hall of Notes one on one or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, his and his it, discography is foolish. It really it's is. really crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And, yeah, and he just—I'd really do. I feel like he does like have exceptional taste in the stuff that he takes. So like, right. We were, we were definitely um, felt good about what we were doing because he was on board with it. We were like, okay, yeah, that's, a, this is a very good sign that we're on to something good here. Yeah. And Morales and, likes it. Yeah. If, if anyone is in the chat and uh, wants to check out John Morales, the Eminem mixes, I mean, I think there's a couple compilations floating around out there where it's just like, all these extended disco mixes. Um, I got oh, one yeah. pretty late on, and I was just like astounded at the quality of tracks that he remixed. The, like the the compilations are incredible, and I mean, shit, if you can get them, load, you know, digitally, however you want to, you know, load them into your Serato, mm-hmm. you got a, a banging set right there. Just all Eminem mixes. It's right, like, you could just play that. This this it's, that's it's, what he does. <laughs> yeah. He's still he's DJ. He like DJs. 11 minutes of a song. He's always messing yeah. with us about our songs aren't long enough. Man, he's <laughs> one like 14 minutes. <laughs> that's dope. Yeah. I mean, that's he's that, always trying to extend them out. Yeah, that because that's that like that that concept that I I think that's also worth just discussing a little bit is this the you know the extended disco mix versus what right. you know as hip hop DJs you know we're always trying to play maybe like two minutes max of a song if right, you're lucky. Right. Whereas, right. you know, disco is, yeah, we got like eight, 10, 15 minute mixes. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You need, you need time to like pull out your little You got to go do drugs for a while. Pour so. a line on the, on the desk and. <laughs> Damn, it's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, just uh, while, we're, while we're talking about um, remixing, uh, I also wanted to talk to you guys a bit about you guys uh, did watch the dance Battle Cat remixed that one, right? Oh, yeah. And Kei Trinata yeah. did one as well. Um, mm-hmm. Incredible remixes, guys. And specifically Battle Cat. I, I, I really want to touch on Battle Cat because I feel like Battle Cat doesn't get quite as much attention. I mean, everyone knows Kei Trinata and how amazing he is, but Battle Cat's kind of got this catalog that, that's really deep. And it was really cool to see that you guys got him on a remix. And it's a fire remix. Well, um, he, you know, Battle Cat, he's, he's in the tier of like people that when we made this, if he doesn't like it, then we're doing it wrong. So like, then we're doing it wrong. Yeah. I, I, I knew him um, from before tuxedo and I, I played it for him, you know, early on. And he was just like, he's like, man, this is like, this is tight. He's like, he's like, I want to do a beat on this. And that's how I knew we had something. Wow. Uh, with the yeah. remix, we went to his studio, which uh, was actually the studio they did in WA. And um, I don't remember where it was Torrance or something like that. Yeah. And, it's in uh, Torrance. Yep. We told him like, all right, so whatever you did, like G'd up and we can freak it. It was like, we want that, the, that we equipment. That. So we pulled out like the most broken up NPC. It was like, you know. He was literally up. like like blowing the dust off of these yeah. pieces of equipment that he hadn't used in like 15 years. Yeah. Oh, and, wow. you know, and... we kind of told him what we wanted. And, and the crazy thing about it is he just literally hit a click track and played everything live for like three minutes straight. Like, everything. Holy. We were just, yeah. I, I, I don't we were... I think that was the tightest shit I've ever seen in person, like yeah. in music in my career. I'm it, not was the, it was one of the most impressive <laughs> things we've ever seen. 
I mean, he did that whole remix live, basically, in front of us. Far out, dude. That's insane. And then turned and then turned around and was like, "Is that is that cool?" And we were, <laughs> we were like, "Uh, yeah, that's good. That's gonna work." Wow. We were just sitting there bugging out, like, yeah, yeah. We were losing our shit. I mean, yeah. Like, can you can you just tell us a bit more about like maybe some fa- some of your favorite tracks of Battle Cat? Because I know you guys worked. He worked on that on the track with you guys on on. Yeah, uh, and, on and three, he was right? also on the third album on um, on my way, and he actually played. Oh, yeah, and on my way, we had him play a show with us for uh, Tuxedo Three uh, <laughs> oh, tour yeah, in L.A., right. which was just nuts. Um, <laughs> nuts. But uh, I mean, I'd say like he man, he might have like fifty songs that I really like, but. My favorite Battle Cat production is probably Eastsiders G Up personally. Um Yeah, G Up is up there, yeah. When I heard that I was just like, Okay, this is this nobody's doing it quite like this. Like when um when Goldilocks says sounds like Battle Cat upstairs with Zap, I mean, that's what it sounded like. That's um, what it sounded like. And he really just nailed it, you know. Um, I'm gonna play this. Can I play the East Siders G Up? Can I just play the instrumental? I'm just gonna Sure. I, I feel like this is a good time to to run that so we people get some uh some idea what we're talking about yeah all right so this is this is battle cat instrumental for uh these guys gd up Gotta, I gotta stop that one pretty quick before the DMCA police get on us. But, um, <laughs> man, that pocket is insane, right? And it's, it's also insane, like yeah. when you hear that, you're like, oh, he probably really did everything live because it's it moves in the way he moves when he's like dancing or making the beat. He told me it all comes from like him being like a pop locker back in the day, oh, and that's how his yep. beats sound, like the rhythm of it. It's you know people be like, but what's the swinging percentage? It's like, no, that's him. It's his no, rhythm. Him. Like, know, it's not he's literally percent. not. Yeah, he's not even. There's no quantizing of anything <laughs> at all. Like he, it's just the way that he played it live is the way that it sounds. That's his right. pocket. That's beautiful, honestly. Like yeah. I feel like that's that's real amazing. Just to know that you it's extre- it's extremely aspirational shit. Thousand percent. And what's what I really love about like any producer that can do this is. Like it just sounds like Battle Cat too. Like even all the instruments, like for like sure. Sonny James in the, in yeah. the chat said, the Chris smears that that clap yeah. that he uses, like he used it on your remix. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's, yeah. He, that's what he used on a remix. We were like, pull that. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, we need, we need that clap. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what's so cool too, because you can hear the lineage of Zap. You can hear like you know all the the Kashif in there as well. It's all like, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, and, and I obviously hear that in Tuxedo, too. You guys obviously have a lot of shared history and shared favorites um, in, in right. the music that you guys make. And you guys worked with Zap uh, as well yeah. on Shy. Was it Shy? Yeah, yeah, Shy. Yep. Yeah. So remaining members of Zap, of course, uh, rest in peace, Roger yeah. Troutman. Can you just tell me yeah. a little bit about working with Zap? Like, uh, what, what was that like? 
That that happened basically because we did our first uh, show in Japan, 2015. We went on before Zap. Um, you know, Damn, we were pretty high like, at that I point. I still have Japan, nightmares like, about this shit. Yeah, we we were just like, oh my god, they know all the words. You know, we we didn't know that they cared about us like that. So we we're coming off stage feeling good, and then Zap just came out there and just destroyed it. Like just whooped just our ass so us. crazy. Um, they blew was, us off just, the stage. Wow. <laughs> like legit blown off the stage. Um, I'm backstage and I'm talking to uh, Lester Troutman Jr. And he's like, man, I've been looking for you guys, man. He's like, I, I can't believe how you guys. He's like, first of all, I can't believe that's what you look like. Because I'm listening to the record and I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. And he was like, you know, he wanted to do music with us. And he was like. Yeah. I feel like you guys could do our sound better than we can right now. Like, and I was like, all right, well, here's what we'll do. <laughs> Let's make one. <laughs> yeah. So Let's we were, make one. uh, Mayor was at my house. Like they had sent us a demo, um, to, to sing on and come up with something. And we were like, this don't sound like zap enough. So we kind of reproduced, uh, the beat at my studio. I, th- I want to say it was like day of the Super Bowl. For some reason, I remember that. So we were like yeah. downstairs making the beat, go up, watch the Super Bowl. It was like, I don't remember what year it was, but um, we sent it to them and, and, and Mayor did the vocals on it. And they were just like, this is it. You know, they were, they were, they were like, hyped. oh my so, God, you guys, you guys did us better than we could. <laughs> right. That's the best, best compliment you can get though, right? Yeah, well, to be is. able to do it, it with is. them was just like, I yeah. mean, that's, I mean, you just don't even think that's possible. I wasn't something when we started this. That was even, you know, there's no way I would have pictured like, oh, we're going to do a song with Zap. We're going to do multiple shows with Zap, huh? Right. Nah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I was just, you know, uh, researching before this and I was like looking at all the guests that you guys have worked with. You've just worked with some, it's like just so many legends and it's, it's so, it's so amazing. But I do want to talk specifically about your, your latest single, uh, Doing My Best. Um, I'm mm-hmm. gonna pull that up. I really wanna. I wanna. I wanna play that for a second, because um, it's a fantastic video. It's really good. I love this video, and um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about it after the song. So let's run. Do doing my best by Tuxedo, uh, and the video. Let's go. I can't be no one but me Baby, can't you see I'm just doing my best? I can't 
good thing I got But I can't be something I'm not It's something you can't change But we gon' make it just the same Just doing my best For you, baby I can't be nobody else I can only be myself Just doing my best For your loving I can't be no one but me Baby, can't you see I'm just doing my best For you, baby There you have it. Yeah. Tuxedo doing my best. What the fire video right there. It's one of my favorite videos ever. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. Yeah. Um, so let's just, we got to talk about that. That video has it all. We got dinosaurs, we got <laughs> yeah. action figures, aliens. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Molly Adams who directed that video for us. She's done a bunch of videos for me too. And she's one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, but. Yeah, we had basically like we had we as you can tell we are very into making unorthodox merch for ourselves and we had made these actual like action figures that you can buy. I think we still that you can still get them on tuxedofunk.com. Yep. Oh, I'm going to try uh, to throw this link in the chat actually. All right, but but um, we were like trying to figure so, and we had this new song doing my best that was kind of like a a one off single that was part of this like uh, tuxedo's greatest hits in Japan. <laughs> oh wow! Already, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, which is already hilarious in itself. Um, but we were trying to figure out like how can we, you know kind of kill two birds with one stone here and we so we were like looking at all these like old like saturday morning cartoon like old like on youtube like commercials for like action figures like the wwf action figures and the gi joe ones back in the day and i was like molly we need to make our version of that commercial basically for the action figures and that's going to be the music video and she i was just like gave her the idea and she was just went off and like she just nailed it really it was incredible she yeah. did like it's the perfect level of um you know of kind of kitsch and uh yeah and... I, it's perfect yeah i knew she was gonna get it too i was like I, i'm not even gonna like be be involved anymore like i was like you just do it because you're gonna do it perfect and she did. Awesome. Big up. Big up. Uh, what's her name again? Yeah. Molly Adams. Molly Adams. Thank you, Molly Adams. That's a, a, a piece yeah. of, uh, yeah, a piece of history right there. Can you guys yeah. talk a little bit about, um, like, did you guys collect those? You, you said you've made unauthorized merch, but did you collect G.I. Joe's and stuff as well as records? Oh, yeah. I still have all mine, <laughs> I think, somewhere in, <laughs> somewhere um, in a box. I, I was more of, like, a baseball card dude than, like, a... Uh... Yeah. Action figures. I definitely had like Transformers and uh, yeah, Transformers ones for sure. 
Right. Yeah. 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 It was big. It was just big. It was a big like if you grew up in the nineties, late eighties or whatever, that was just like a. It was part of life. We you had know? to just imagine, you know, these things moving around, and you know, it's different. Right. No. They were so janky back then. Like they. <laughs> they were from, so none janky. Of them, yeah. No. No. Now. Now the the toys like really do. They are. Yeah. And there shit. you go. There we yeah, go. Yeah. But like missing a hand. I mean. Even Transformers were, like, very revolutionary because they actually did something. They like, did multiple mo- things. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah. it's a rubbery whatever the hell. Yeah, Yeah, most of them were just, like, not even – you couldn't even move them or anything. They were just so janky. And then – but it really made you – it, like, forced you as a kid to, like, have a, a wild imagination. So Yeah, for that, sure. Maybe that helped us. There's um There's a great Netflix documentary on the toys that made us. Have you guys checked that out at all? No, I've seen, no, I I've seen the that. trailer for it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's fire. It was really cool, actually, the one specifically about Transformers. They talk a lot about how um, they were already a toy in Japan for many years, so this might tie in well with the greatest hit story. Um, right. <laughs> and and basically, like, a, an American Hasbro, I guess, came over and, and saw this, and they were like, oh, these are, we got to do this. And then they, they just, were right. This is going to yeah. be a home run, yeah. So, uh and then they 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 did the ultimate thing for kids, which was combine Transformers and and dinosaurs, which are like the two things that kids adore. Construction, <laughs> construction, and dinosaurs, and yeah, Transformers all in one. It's like takes all the boxes for a kid. It's great. Yeah, no, they were getting that bread. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you guys were talking about working on some on some official remixes currently but are you working on album four like what what's uh what are your guys priorities right now man we uh we have zero songs for album four right now oh shit we have some we have some tracks that we like but you know we gotta like yeah just get together and do it we're yeah so i live in los angeles and jake lives in seattle and kind of our thing for the whole time we've been a, a group is we don't make songs over the internet. Right. We are like, we like to be in the same room and really doing it together in the studio. So, um, yeah, we are, we are, we're, we're, we've got some ideas for what we want to do for the next record. There, there will be a tuxedo for at some point, but yeah, I mean, it's, we're getting it's, there slowly. It's also we're taking one of these our time. Like we know what it's supposed to be and what feels right. So it's not, like when we were making that first album, I mean, some of that stuff was five years old. It was, you know, we we didn't really know what it was until the last year of making it. So um, we didn't have a formula or even know what the formula was trying to be. So yeah, as we made the other records, yeah, it's been easier. It took a while to figure out, you know, yeah, exactly what the tuxedo formula is and what what is our thing, you know, that's going to be our own thing that right. doesn't just that doesn't just sound like an old 80s record. Right. Cuz that's important to us to develop to create more like a, a another another uh, an iteration of tuxedo, you mean? Well, just I think in general like the the hip hop component that we put in what we're doing is what makes it a bit different um from like you know a kashif record or something i mean beyond that they're just better at it than us we'll never be able to make it quite like them so you know we use the technology we use the hip-hop brain that we have more than anything i think that's the 
the part of it that that makes it unique. Um, we're going to try to find that four bars that feels like that you want to hear for four minutes. Um, right. And I right. feel like, you know, even talking to like uh, guys that made records in those eras, they weren't really thinking that way. Um, they were just jamming, you know, they would jam and then a song would come out of it or it wouldn't. So right. know, the process of which you made is make our stuff is so much more informed by like our hip hop sides, you know. Definitely. I, I definitely and our hear... DJing and our DJing, and DJing backgrounds yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely hear that too. And and I think uh, it's interesting even, uh, I know, Mary, you've worked with Pharrell um, on things, um, even his approach which also seems to be very influenced, like we were talking about, like with Battle Cat, where it's it's informed by Kashif and, and Prince and all these like oh, classic yeah, artists. Sure. sure, yeah. But then they are, like you said, t- similar to that, taking that hip hop, that four bar loop or eight bar phrase that that they you want to you want to hear on loop with a with a modern production element to it. Right. And then yeah, bringing it to the future, it's super dope. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, like you know, you know we were talking about Battle Cat earlier, how like. Battle Cat can make anything a Battle Cat version. And I think what we managed to do with Tuxedo now, it's like, I feel like I can make a Tuxedo version of like anything I like, um, which is, you know, that's how you have a sound, you know, really, that's that's what it comes down to. Now we're always mm-hmm. gonna tweak things and make like, for me, I kind of feel like we went a little cleaner on three, so maybe we'll go dirtier on four. Like there's always gonna be some subtle tweak but there's certain things that are always going to be in there you know right we'll get well usually we get a couple new toys for each album yeah yeah more more keyboards you know more synthesizers and whatever uh yeah right exactly (laughs) here we go this is whatever 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 the latest toys are that they usually have a bigger bigger role on the new album yeah yeah, that's dope. Actually, one of the things I liked about doing my best, actually, I hear like the way the the sounds are. It's like this. I don't even know what instruments you guys used on that, but there is a certain mid range warmth, and I and I'd love I'd love to learn more about that. I don't know if that's something we can go into right now. I be... mean that that record was really done off um, this keyboard, the Memory Moog, which Drew has behind him too, um, which yep. is kind of like you know we've used on a lot of records. Um, yeah, we got we have his and. His and his memory moves. <laughs> but um, it's, I mean, honestly, that keyboard has probably been used on um, 90% of our big records are the ones people like the yeah. most. Um, just something about it that, that cuts through. Um, yeah. And then there's like, I felt like there's something different when I end up making the beat without like other people making the chords make more sense or when i just have the quirkiness and when i'm just making it there's some music theory stuff that's like all the way wrong but it's definitely a more hard-hitting thing like a so good or like even yeah. uh you know doing my best is one kind of like and you know I, drew will tell you i probably end up playing the same bass line like 40 million different times <laughs> with yeah. like two variations and i'm like oh it's a new one he'll be like but that's the same bass line again you know same hey. baseline but it's yeah but it's like you know that that's kind of the the beauty of tuxedos we've managed to like make it work for so many different songs <laughs> and <laughs> you when you when the moment when you realize that it's all actually the same baseline is like you know when it's like oh shit <laughs> they, somebody else really... told me that about like two of the songs and i was like yeah I, I didn't even think of it but you're right 
<laughs> hey, if it sounds good, that's though, that, of, that's what it's about, right? It's part of having a sound. It's part of having your own style. You know, that's a thing that we're willing to just, you know, it just works for us. Right. Absolutely. Um, just, Speaking of um, sounds, actually, I, I wouldn't mind talking to, to you a bit about, uh, Jake, your, specifically your production history. Um, as I mean, you're both extremely accomplished on your own. Um, but I'd like to just talk a little bit about your sound packs, Snare Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. Great name. Love that one so much. <laughs> um, I actually Shout have out to RC. RC. He gave me that one, man. Thank oh. you again. RC yeah. for, Is RC uh, from Toronto? From Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big up RC. He's, yep. actually, he's actually who AR Music is named after, too. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it for sure. Um, yeah. And then yeah, you've you've obviously worked with so many so many incredible artists: J Cole, Drake, MF Doom, Fifty Cent, G Unit, John Cena. Got to put that one in there. Make sure um, that's his uh, walking out music, right? You did his yeah. theme music. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I've been loving your your behind the beat series. I just watched the one with Larry June. Um, so c- can you just like talk a bit about your approach uh, making beats for artists versus making tracks for a Tuxedo? Um, you know, I when I'm making like uh hip-hop beats they're really for nobody in particular um so it's it's so different in that i never am like man i gotta make the drake album i'm gonna make something for him today like i just make what i make and then yeah i'm gonna send it to his ass or i'm gonna send it to call or whoever and i hope they get on it but i feel like anytime i try to cater to like an artist in particular it doesn't usually work um no. tuxedo is totally different because when i'm making that it's purely for that purpose so but I also have a little more of a say on whether, <laughs> you know, the artist is going to do the song. So uh, maybe that's part yeah, of it true. too. But I, I do think there's like a point in that when I was making some of the early tuxedo stuff, some of that came over into my hip hop side. Definitely like started making things a little more melodic. Um, I don't know, 2012, 13-ish or 10. I don't know. When did, when did the first album came out? 2015. So couple of years before that and i feel like i was finding a uh a, a sweet spot of like both of them um and i you know i featured mayor on some beats like i'll sample his background vocals and throw them in stuff like uh that plaque he has behind him uh there was a song i did for future called looking exotic and i threw oh, wow. some of his background vocals from a tuxedo song in there <laughs> because i can you know and i, I just like I feel like that's Thanks, the stuff that makes what I do different versus everybody else, you know? That's dope. I didn't know that. So what, so yeah, what was that Future yeah. song again? It's called Looking Exotic. It's on, uh, it's the Hendrix album, right? Future Hendrix? Yep. 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 Oh, that's fire. So, yeah, yeah. Future, future Tuxedo collab happened. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically right. Mayor and Future did a duet. Like, people don't know, but, you know. It was... People don't even know. That's fire. Um. And then you, did you name the sound packs? Like you, you have a sneak, you're a sneaker collector. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Like I always been in a, you know, it's, it's funny, man. I feel like it's, it's so predictable, but like, I mean, every, <laughs> every old dude that has records got sneakers and now they're on baseball cards and yeah, I don't know what the next thing is they're going to be doing. Um, Why? You know, reissuing records or something. Maybe I'll be my next thing so I can fit the whole, uh, you know, circle. Of, you can hit the trifecta. Yeah, the '90s rap dude trifecta. <laughs> it's dope, though, man. It's a great name, Snare Jordan. I love it. And you guys, uh, Snare, did a- Snare Jordan has been a blessing. Um, it's crazy to see like 
how many big songs even have like my stuff in there? I'm like, I know that snare. That's my snare. Or like, mm -hmm. that's my sweep, you know, like, um, it's dope, man. I love it. Um, I've like kind of slowed down on it because I've just been lazy. Um, I feel like people are doing a lot of cool sounds. When we started doing Snare Jordan in 2000, I don't know, 11, 12, there wasn't many things out like that. So it was like really a new thing. And at the time when I did, I was like, man, if I give people my drum sounds or their beats gonna sound like me, I'm just not, nobody's gonna want my beats anymore. And uh, the funny part is that I would hear people's beats and they sounded nothing like mine. So they ended up working out. That's so and, dope. And I think I would even argue that it's made people want your beats even more. Right, because they can't exactly do it the way I do it, even with my sounds. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just my brain, I guess. It was yeah. really cool, too, uh, actually. Um, the article that uh, on NPR about the story about making the re record for, for Drake, the second part of Furthest right, Thing. Right, right. Uh, and you, you also talk about, uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours, Gene Brown. Um, yeah, yeah. And that whole yeah. story. I thought that was really dope, too, man. Um, yeah, how, how, do you, how did you meet Gene? Man, you know what's really funny about Gene Brown? Gene Brown's uh, kind of like record dealer to the stars. I wouldn't say I'm one yeah. of the stars, but, you know, you're just Blazes and Questloves and Kenny Dopes yeah. or whoever it is. Gene Brown's selling them records. Um, yep. Gene Brown had a friend that played for the Seahawks in, I don't know, early 2000s. And this was before the internet uh, was a thing. And you couldn't find people, right? So I went to a record store, Golden Oli's, and this dude was like, yeah, some guy's looking for you. His name's Gene Brown. <laughs> and, and left like a piece of paper. I didn't know this story. Damn, I've never heard this. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I met him. That's really how we connected um, back then. That's incredible. And uh, we just stayed what cool. A, and, what you know, a great business model. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's how this, this, is, this was the times, right? There also wasn't that many people doing this, you know? It wasn't like... No, yeah, it's very There niche. wasn't as many people chasing these records and in this, you know, community. So chances are, if I could name many. any city and I would know about a person there, even if I didn't know him, you know? Right. Yeah, big big shout out to Gene Brown, though. Like you said, record dealer to the stars, and he was part of that record, too. It was just that I'm, I'm going to link that um, that article in, in a second on NPR because it was just a fascinating story about the whole production of that song and, and all the it's, different It's pieces. crazy how much goes into some of these things and sometimes how little goes into it. So it just, it just right. totally depends. Like sometimes I might make something in 20 minutes and that ends up being the song. Sometimes we got to do all these other things like i mean for instance do my best that was like the third version of that song we kept trying different versions of that song we never yeah, liked that, any of that them. might have that might have been the sixth <laughs> or seventh version of right? that and there was you know it got to a point where it was like oh, i don't even like this anymore like what did we do we end up going back to one of the earlier versions like no we all had it on the third one you know so, <laughs> right right so yeah you just you never know you never know. Sometimes we just will like, like with fucks with the tux, we had the idea, like it was literally started from a joke in the elevator coming down to the lobby in the hotel. And yeah, we were like in Germany. We went, yeah. We got back home, came to my house in, in LA, literally made that whole track in what? 15 minutes or something like yeah, that. It was, it and was then, quick. And that it was, was it. I, that's the version. That's the version that you hear on the album is that version. And then sometimes, yeah, we're, there's a song that we started 
you know, seven years there, ago. There was a whole another version of doing my best over a whole different beat, whole different style of singing. And uh, I remember that was one, one of the like, first songs we ever made. Yeah. I think Wale was on it at one point, even. <laughs> yeah, Wale was on it. I, I, that was in, in like, I think we were, that was like some of the early, early sessions. Like Mac Miller was there. Oh, wow. Uh, right, he had right. to be in Seattle. Yeah. He was hanging out in the studio that day. And he's thinking like, man, I, you know, I want to get a beat from you. And, you know, I want Mary to sing. He was so puzzled by what was going on. He was like, what is it? What is this? Like, he didn't even understand what we were even trying to do. You know? Right. That's crazy. I mean, that's a, those are some stories, guys. I really that's that's some that's some cool cool history right there. Um, Mayor, actually, uh, your career obviously very impressive. Grammy nominated artist, big singles we all know and love. But your original record for Stones, for from what I've read, was created for to be like a, a sample library for producers to sample, kind of similar you to were early on that. To Frank Dukes, right? I was kind of early on that, but it really came out of my my frugal Jewish background of not <laughs> wanting to pay for sample clearance. I was like, how, you know, because I was like originally, you know, back in the DJ haircut days, I was sampling like Eddie Kendricks or whoever, and they they would come after us. And we'd have to pay them like five thousand dollars or yeah, something. Yeah, all, it, all it takes is to get hit that one time, and you find new ways. It, it creates a new style for you sometimes. And I, I got really sick of you know get you know we would we wouldn't barely make that much on the whole album, and I would give all the money to the guy we sampled, and I was like, man, this is just not a not a um a valuable business model here like i need to figure out how to just make and i was like you know i play all these instruments and i can sing a, whatever a little bit and i was like i'll just start making my own samples and then i can sample myself and i won't have to pay for the sample clearance and that's kind of how mayor hawthorne was born that's incredible i think uh singing a bit is maybe a bit of an understatement there um <laughs> at this point we've well proven... no I appreciate that, but I, I really had no idea what I was doing at all. I still am like very no, you know, I have no no formal training at all in it. It's really just all been trial and error. Yeah, I mean, I think though, but what both of you guys are saying though, I mean, it's it's not so much about the training as much as it is about having a good ear and and figuring out a good sound and having trust in that. I mean, you know? I think having a good ear is something you just can't teach. Whereas, yeah. like you know, over. You know, when I went through my losing uh, hella money on samples back in the day, I didn't have an alternative for it. I had to figure out ways to, like, learn how to play. So it, it started that, you know, next chapter of my career, which led us to Tuxedo. Because if I wouldn't have been taking piano lessons and learning some basic-ass chords, I wouldn't be able to make those right. beats, you know? So right. um, it's funny how that works. Sometimes it's like it was almost a blessing to, like, not get any publishing on some of these songs. I say that now, but <laughs> <laughs> and now it's it's now interesting. Look at, and now look at you playing piano on stage. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh, and also you guys got sampled, right? You guys got sampled by Pitbull. He did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so Pitbull um Pitbull came to us when we only had the song on SoundCloud. Do it was only on SoundCloud and uh at first I, I kinda thought it was like 
some like yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> Here it is. Um I I didn't think it was real at first, honestly. Um when I heard about it. I'm like, man, people don't want to use our song. Hell no, you know. And then they, man, they sent us a version with Pitbull on it. And I was like, holy shit, he's really going to use this. And this is when he was popping. So I was like, man, yeah. Pitbull is going to, like, make our song a hit. I'm retiring. I'm quitting. Like, no more. Yeah. We and, we really uh, thought he, we were going to make millions of dollars off of that. He wanted and, to sign us as a group, too, which was yeah. crazy. And, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't have, we didn't, we weren't even putting it out loud at that point. So it was just. The whole thing was bizarre, but it was cool. And then uh, yeah. we managed to maintain the rights to put out our own version. Um, and it's funny right. that like our version ended up being the one with just us on it. Because I mean, yeah. just theoretically, you would think the bigger artists would have had the bigger song. Yeah, I mean, Mr. It, it, it's amazing that yeah, our our version without Pitbull ended up arguably being the bigger version of the song. But it's yeah, shout out to Armando. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I've heard a lot of things about him. How he's he's very tuned into DJ culture. So if DJs are playing yeah. something, he wants to be on. He had to be to know about our shit. I was that was crazy to be like. I mean, I was I was wondering who put him up on that. Yeah, it's he cool. was obviously yeah. He was obviously really paying attention. So this was like prime SoundCloud era. So I think people were really about discovering new music on there. Yeah. Um, and, and we put those three songs it around. There. Yeah, and it just kind of. It went and, and told us, hey, we should probably finish this album and put it out. Um, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Hey, um, so, Mayor, I also uh, discovered you have a song with Bobby Caldwell. Obviously, I know Bobby Caldwell yeah. primarily because of so many great samples from him. Um, can you just, like, it's a great song, by the way. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the influence Thanks. of Bobby on, on you? And, and no doubt, you know, there's probably been some comparisons made here. But Yeah, well, I mean, I think... Bobby call guys like Bobby Caldwell and um, Dennis Coffey and like you know they they were kind of the guys that like like told me you know it's okay for you as a white dude to try to like make soulful music and you know as you could you could tell like when you listen to Bobby Caldwell's music you can hear the reverence that he has for it. And like the, the, you know, the, he just cares so much about that music. You can, you can just hear it in it. And uh, that was definitely, you know, hugely influential for me as an artist. Yeah. He's, I mean, how many great songs? I mean, all the, all these albums, I got so many of his albums and they're just, there's just so many amazing, amazing compositions on there. And he's, Killing it as a vocalist, killing it as a musician. He's amazing. Yeah, that was also like a real, um, um, a rude awakening for me when I, I like I had kind of come off like my biggest album ever. I just dropped How Do You Do? And I was like, you know, touring all all over the world and selling a lot of records. And, and then I did... I wrote this song with Bobby Caldwell and I had basically like demoed the song out and done my verse on it. And I really thought, you know, I had crushed it. I was like, this is some of my best work. And I'm, I felt like I was singing really, really well. And I had like done a bunch of vocal training with my vocal coach and 
I was feeling so good about it. And Bobby came in and just slaughtered me on it. He w- <laughs> he. When I heard his part, I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like, how can you still be this good?" Wow. Yeah, he's he's a, an, he's a legend. Are, are there? What would be? What would you know? Mayor first. Uh, what would be your quintessential Bobby Caldwell track? Um. What's uh, coming down from love? That's the one for me. Or My Flame. My Flame mm. is one that definitely, like, DJs would all love. I'm sure it's been sampled before. Yeah, that the Biggie but, one. Biggie sampled it, right? Um, right, yeah, right. Yeah. That's the My Flame one. Yeah, right. Yeah. But Coming Down From Love is, like, the one that, I don't know, that's my personal. Just anytime I hear that song, I'm like, wow, this is just one of the best songs ever written. What about you, Jake? What's your quintessential? I Bobby mean, Cole? I gotta go What You Won't Do For Love. That's yeah. the yeah. obvious one. But, um... You know, My Flame is great. Uh, that whole Cat in the Hat album I like a lot, too, though. Um, mm-hmm. I feel Open like... Is eyes. that his second yeah. album? That must be a second album. I'm not yeah. too sure. Um, one of the ones that I feel like doesn't get quite as much uh, love is, is Carry On, uh, Bobby Caldwell yeah. track. It's another yeah. jam. Um, Absolutely, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, one more question for you, Mayor. Uh, being from Michigan, uh, Ann Arbor specifically, right? But um, mm-hmm. so such a close proximity to Detroit and obviously being such a center of soul music and amazing music of many genres, techno, house, uh, you know, hip-hop, shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the influence of Detroit on you as a musician? I mean, I think by the time I was born, Motown had already long moved to California and Detroit had definitely, like, fallen into tough tough decline um so like it was there was kind of like that you know a shadow of the former glory of that all that soul music was there and then all the records were still there in the record stores so i got a really healthy dose of like that soul education from just digging in record stores in detroit and my dad grew up there was born and raised like in the city went to mumford high where they like shot beverly hills cop and and um he taught me a lot about that music but then you know growing up in ann arbor just like down the road it's a college town and it's a lot more you know it was like kind of more of a hippie psychedelic vibe like we are ann arbor is kind of famous for having the hash bash which is like one of the first it was like kind of like the original marijuana legalization event that would happen every year the hash bash. It was like a, the hash bash was That's like dope. this big this big festival they would do kind of every year I think it's in like april or something around 420 and around <laughs> april course. 20th or something every year and so i mean like iggy pop went to my high school and bob seeger is from ann arbor and there was a lot of like kind of psychedelic rock and punk and things like that that are from ann arbor and it was just like going to a record store in ann arbor versus detroit you would find a lot more of those like weird psychedelic hippie things and um it's just kind of the the combo of those two definitely i think kind of 
made me who I am. That's dope. Yeah, it's it's interesting even being a fan of of Jay Dillo, obviously such a impor- important producer. Even right, hearing right. what you're saying though about like psychedelic rock was obviously very present in a lot of his productions yeah. too. So that really provides yeah. some context on that. Well, that was the first time I met Jay Dilla was not in Detroit. It was in Ann Arbor. Because he oh, wow. would come to Ann Arbor because he knew that was where all the like psychedelic rock records were that he liked to sample. They were all in Ann Arbor. Oh, that's so dope. he would come to he would come to the record stores in Ann Arbor a lot, and I would see him there. Awesome. Um, but yeah, and then and then down, later down the road, like my first record deal ever, be well way before Mayor Hawthorne days, uh, when I was the DJ for a rap group in in Ann Arbor, we signed our first record deal to Barack Records, which was the home of Slum Village and Jay Dilla, and I even did. Um, like scratches record scratches on some of the early slum village albums no way i did, I did not know that yeah. that's uh that's a gem yep. right there yep that's a lot of people missed that in the credits <laughs> <laughs> i want to can you tell me a specific record that I might that we might find uh or online somewhere uh the one the one i remember the most was uh i think it's on detroit deli it's called things we do Okay, awesome. That's dope, man. I've never heard that ever. I don't know if you've ever told that in other interviews, but that's news to me, man. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That was amazing for us. I mean, we, you know, getting to like see how they worked too was just so because they were so different. They were just so unique and so so different from every other rap group at the time, and now their influence has spread like throughout every kind of music and but back then they were just i mean i will never forget like hearing their records for the first time just being like is is this rap like are they even rap music it was so it was so different so ahead of its time yeah um jake for you growing up you grew up in seattle can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about the influence of growing up pacific northwest and and the kind of culture there for you as a beat maker uh i think the unique thing Seattle has is uh, people here, I mean, we're definitely West Coast. Um, so like, I'd say the majority, the pop, majority of people were listening to like, you know, DJ Quick and, uh, you know, stuff from the Bay 40 um, when I was growing up or, you know, early Too Short. I remember when the white Too Short tape came out. I mean, I, I was there when that came out when I was 12 years old, 10 years old. Born to Mac. Um, so... It kind of gave, even though I loved a lot of East Coast rap, it gave me like a different perspective on, um, you know, my approach to it because I was always into the bass lines and stuff like that, which the East Coast guys were more like, you know, it was a lot of drums and, you know, loud drums and samples. And I loved all that, but the, their stuff didn't really bump. You play in your car, you'd be like, uh, I don't really hear nothing in the bottom. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> You're, you're not talking about Eric Sermon. Guys really doing that. Like uh, uh, Sermon, Eric Sermon was like really the one East Coast do back then that was really playing bass lines. And that's why we liked him so much here, right? Yeah. Um, Dilla came later and kind of combined all those things. And, I, and when I heard his mm-hmm. beats originally, I thought like, oh man, he's like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I like. You know, it's funky. Right. But the guys, the texture of the East Coast stuff. Um, 
But, you know, Seattle's, you know, it's a sleepy place. Like, it's it's definitely become more of a big city as uh, time has gone on. But, like, you know, our rap scene was, was definitely extremely unheralded, you know, when I was coming up. So we were really doing it for ourselves. We didn't have, like, we had mix a lot, but he's, he's significantly older than me. So, like, there was nobody in my era that really made it, you know, when I was coming up to look up to. So we kind of just had to create our own thing. And, you know, it forced us to, like, just love what we were doing more so than trying to compete. It's like I didn't have a person down the street from me that made a hit song or, you know, any of that. I didn't know anybody that really accomplished much in those times as far as on a national scale. So I was always just making beats that was dope to me and my friends or, you know, having, like, somebody like Vitamin D around me. Like, he was as good as anybody to me. So, like... I would just go down the street to his house and be blown away every day by what he was doing, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, it was pre-internet. So it was like the stuff was just hard to get out there. Um, and, and I'm sure every city had a lot of unheralded people in those times because it was so much harder to get discovered. Um, but you know, our, our musical lineage here is like, it's crazy. I mean, we got Jimi Hendrix, we got Quincy Jones, we got, Ish from Digable Planets. We got Philip Wu, who I didn't even know was from here, who's from my neighborhood, played on Everybody Loves the Sunshine, Every Roy Air song. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's 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 from like eight blocks of where I live right now. And grew Maze up. Maze too, right? Yeah, may played on Before I Let Go for Maze. Oh wow. I mean, he comes back to town and I feel like it's my duty to like, you know, have him over and just bring people here and be like, You need to know who this is. Like we yeah. should be proud of this as for Seattle, you know? And it's it's crazy seeing people look on their face and be like, this dude? You know, he's like <laughs> a 60-something-year-old Chinese dude. Like, how was he doing that? You know? He's a synth he, player? He played on Everybody Loves the Sunshine. Like, that's him yeah. playing piano on there. Oh, that's, that's him, him on piano. Keyboards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, our, our, our legacy is strong, um, you know, and, and things have obviously happened more in modern times that, you know, rap has gotten a shot, but, you know, I wasn't into, like, any of the grunge rock. Like, I didn't fuck with that at all. Like, I I uh, didn't even know what the dudes in Pro Jam looked like to the point that I was playing basketball with Jeff, the bass player, it's probably 10 years ago, for two years, didn't even know who, that's who that was. That's like, crazy. this is how much I'm in hip-hop mode. I just didn't care. So, um. It's it's been cool to like make it out of here um, and be somebody that like, you know, paved the way for some of the stuff that's happened after me. Um, I'm always proud of all of it. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I just I just love being here because it's home, and I just feel like I'm competing with myself in my my environment. I feel like if I'd have moved to LA or New York, I probably would have sold all the way out and been making pop music trying to get to the money. Um, because <laughs> that's what happens you know like you just get caught up trying to trying to compete with 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 uh your peers and right it just never was really like that here i've man- managed to kind of maintain that um just doing what i want to do by you know that's super dope about the jeff amant thing i know that uh I know that he can of, hoop too. Don't sleep. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff used to kick my ass out there some days. Well, yeah, um, I'm a bass player, uh, personally. So I, I know Jeff from being a bass player when I was a teenager. And I know specifically something that you'll like Jake is that he had a bass that was custom glassed with all these, uh, basketball 
trading cards in it. Oh, well, <laughs> that sounds like some shit he would do. That's yeah. that's actually really fire. Yeah, right. It's like super dope. And he was always—I know those guys were always rocking Jays too. I think uh, eighty veterans. Yeah, I mean he. Sixes. It was you know it's so funny. Like I should have known because I'd even be like, why is this? I mean he's probably ten years older than me. Maybe I don't know something like that. I'm like, how is this old white dude just have like every NBA team's like practice outfit? Like he'd be oh, like. Wow. Memphis Grizzlies like head to toe, but the shit they wear. I'm like, and I remember one day he was like, "Oh yeah, you know we do shows. The equipment managers always come and give me stuff." And I was like, "Damn, that's pretty dope." Doesn't quite happen for us when we do tuxedo shows. <laughs> right? Yeah, we 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 haven't got We're not that playing far in yet. the same place that the yeah. Grizzlies played. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Well, um. Yeah, I'm. I feel like it's probably a good idea to let the people in the chat know that if you guys have any questions, now would be the time to throw them in the chat, um, and we can How try. How do I and... see the chat? Because I don't see it on here. Oh, um, it should. It, well, I, I guess you just have to see it on Twitch if it's not showing up in there. It should have shown okay. up in there, but um, I'll read them out. I'll read them out. Um, okay, cool, cool. All right. So, yeah, all right. If you got any questions in the chat, feel free to throw them in. Um, I got a couple more questions, of course. Um. Just around, you know, over the last year, obviously, you guys have talked about, you know, being kind of separated due to COVID. Did you guys, like, gain any yeah. skills, um, either music-related or non-music-related, uh, because of that separation? Um, I don't know about skills, but I gained a fiancé. Oh, well. <laughs> Congratulations, that's, man. That's a big development. Thank you. Pretty big, yeah. Um, I think I made way more music um just not going on tour like yeah. just being home like every day i got into like a routine again it felt like the old days um but yeah i definitely didn't like learn how to build a house or uh <laughs> you know even really play keyboards any better <laughs> <laughs> i can vouch for that <laughs> it's good to see how you guys are very uh comfortable giving you guys uh criticisms and feedback it's a healthy oh, relationship no, come on yeah we bust each other's shops that's non-stop that's if you can't take it you can't be in tuxedo no no you can't <laughs> um actually speaking of tuxedo gavin turek is uh, a singer she's is she an official member of tuxedo not not really but She's, when she she's wants to be, a, she is. You know, yeah, whenever we can have her, she's with us. Unofficial member for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw you guys. Um, I think we were performing in downtown LA. You know, quite a few years ago. Um, and and Gavin was 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 on tour with you guys, and she was in the band. And I was like, wow, she is amazing. I mean, it was an amazing show. Yeah. I got a bravo to you guys. And um, yeah, I saw you guys both playing since, which was super dope. And Gavin was on there, and she was killing it too. Um, we just we just did a show with her in uh, L.A. two weeks ago with Zap and One Way, mm -hmm. oh, Slave. Wow. There was a ton of people on yeah. that show, but was that yeah, the was... Hidden Switches show? Yeah, something like that. Uh, no, uh, no, no, it's called it OC Funk in... Fest. Okay, OC Funk Fest yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Wow, what a lineup! Um, yeah, it was incredible. We have a we have a question from DJ Black Rabbit out in LA. Uh, he he wants to know uh, specifically for Jake, what was the first synth you bought yourself? Um, I think you guys could probably both answer that. I think it's it's actually in LA with all the tuxedo gear, but um, the first two I bought was a Juno Six. Um, yeah. I think it was three hundred bucks. I bought that in two thousand six when I got like my first publishing deal. I was like, man, I'm gonna buy some keyboards, and uh, I bought the Juno Six and. Uh, sequential six track is that what's called six track 
Yeah. yeah. And both of those actually tour with Tuxedo, so I haven't had those in my house still. for a long time. It's pretty and somehow they're those still are... working with us taking them around the world. I don't know how. Yeah. They've been repaired here and there, but yeah, yeah. they're those are some tanks, yeah. Those the Juno is really... a tank for sure. Like the Juno's a tank. Yeah. I think that was the first one I bought as well was the Juno sixty, which I still have in the studio right behind me. Classic. Um, I got yeah. another one. I got another one for Jake here from Ross Hogg. Um, he's asking, uh, "You've worked with E40, Turf Talk, and Larry June. Are there any other Bay a- Bay Area rappers that you're feeling?" Uh, Bay Area rappers I'm feeling right now. I mean, uh, me and Pilo were supposed to have been done something for a while. Pilo was supposed to get Ooh. on a Tuxedo song actually. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That's so gonna yeah, happen. He's, that's that's my dude. Uh, me and Drew both like him a lot. Um, yeah, I've been Pilo doing more stuff it. with Larry. I actually got back with Forty. Uh, recently i had a, i had a really funny e40 story because he you know he's one of the first dudes to like buy a beat from me that was big you know fly me somewhere and all that stuff like i went to sacramento it's probably 2002 or something um but anyways he he called me out the blue like maybe two months ago and uh you know he had recorded some beats he had gotten um sent me the songs they were dope but i happened to pick up this record i'm gonna get the record real quick I picked up this record that uh, his uncle made, um, Chucky Thurman. That's and E-40's I showed uncle? it to him, and he freaked out because he was like, "I didn't even know this existed." Um, oh wow! Yeah, Chucky Thurman. It's a really rare record. I've been looking for it for like twenty some years. So, anyways, Forty Water was extremely impressed um, with that as, as <laughs> with that be. record. That's on some Nardwar yeah. shit, brother. Uncle on three way and all yeah. that. So, um, anytime I just talk to him, man, I feel like I get something out of it. Like the, the, him being like somebody that's, you know, a little bit older than me and a generation older, and he still has the passion to do it. Just keeps me going. I'm like, I can't complain about being old if this dude's out here going so hard. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he's got the the the, the liquor, the what is it, the wine, or what is what is he doing? He's got he's diversified very he's much. He's got both. All, he's got Lupius. I mean, <laughs> water is, a, is he's an enterprising young man. That's for sure. He he is an enterprise. That's awesome. Hey, um, I, okay, so I gotta ask you guys both the question specifically. Uh, we ask every guest that comes on the show the same question. Um, feel free to answer independently or together, however you feel. Uh, what does the power of music mean to you? Man, you know what? We were actually having a con- I was having a conversation um, with my manager about this earlier today. And I think for me, really, what it comes down to is I don't think there is anything more powerful than music for bringing people of all walks of life together that would not normally ever interact or be in the same place. I think nothing is more powerful than music for making that happen. And like just getting people together to have a good time who, who are just, you know, from all ages and ethnicities and, and, you know, genders, everything, like everybody comes together and agrees this music is dope. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, Jake, did you want to answer that too? Um, I it's funny. I was I was having a, a 
a, a argument about music like I do a lot of my friends. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like the most fun argument. And and uh, it's it's funny how we all really feel so passionately that we're right about what's good and what isn't, you know, yeah. and, and I don't feel that strongly about that many things in the world like that. You know what I mean? Besides my family, you know, like, so it's crazy how much I care, you know, about whether this album from 1992 is better than this other one, like that it still gets me that like inspired, you know, and I care yeah. that much. What is right. nothing else in the world I care about like that. So, I mean, and we're always going to have that, you know? Oh yeah. Twitter, mm -hmm. Twitter is a light with these, uh, these expressions. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't even, I don't argue on Twitter anymore because I think when I had my kid, I was like, I can't be arguing with people on Twitter no more. This is ridiculous. Like I'm too, old I'm for too this. grown for this, but I would <laughs> definitely argue in person with my friends all day. Um, yeah, but yeah, not strangers. It's, it's a little crazy. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I think now's the time where if you guys want to shout anyone out or, or um, let anyone know uh, anything that you guys have got coming up that we should be checking out for, whether it's shows or, or releases, um, now is the time to let us know um, if you can think of anything. I got uh, the Rare Changes Tour. I'm coming to a town near you and um, tickets are available now. Just go to mayorhawthorne.com and I'm gonna see y'all. We're bringing, uh, we're bringing likely, the all new band. Yeah, it's likely that I might pull up to a couple of those shows oh, and uh, fuck up one of his songs on the stage, <laughs> like I always do. <laughs> so, a potential Just to make it highly likely. Home. <laughs> yeah. A potential uh, tuxedo would, DJ set would though. Only be right. <laughs> I don't know What's what that? we're DJing. Uh, and no, this 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 is on his set. I'm gonna come up okay. there and do do a song with him, and right. uh, play on the wrong tour, notes right. like I like to do, you know. Awesome. It's hey, well, right. I want to say thank you guys so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, and it was really great to talk to you just about all sorts of all sorts of nerdy shit and and getting some uh, interesting history too. Um, I did want to uh, play one more song um, to 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 let everyone, you know, to to ride out to, I guess. Um, and I'll, I wanted to choose uh, the song "Own Thing." Uh, by Tuxedo featuring Tony Tony yeah, Tony. Sleeper. Which yeah, sleeper. Yeah, one of my favorite. Um, Deep cut. Yeah, um, just because I love Tony Tony Tony. Rafael Sadiq, man. Um, well, we have we have the the story on that one's really funny because we were doing the fucks with the tux video, and uh, the people doing the video rented like an old school car for us to ride in. On the, I think we're only in the opening of the video, and the yeah. car happened to be Dwayne Wiggins's car. Oh. So. Dwayne Wiggins is like, and he's listening not only to was, them play the song back. Not only was like, it How his car. I know about you guys. Not only was it his car, but he delivered it himself. <laughs> he did deliver the car. Oh, wow. um, so that's, yeah, that's how we connected with him. He wanted to do a record with us. So that we, we were like, of course. Well, know? I've yeah. also got some, an interesting development here. Um, Mishi Rao, who's in the chat, was said she was in the video. Hey, and, was, now, that's what's up. And she was one of the dancers. So big up, shout out Mishiro. Yeah, shout out, big up. So yeah, I we're gonna it. we're gonna roll roll out to uh, Own Thang by uh, Tuxedo featuring Tony Tony Tony. Thank you so much again, Jake and Mare, for your time. Peace, guys. It's been a pleasure to have you guys. And uh, peace and love. Look forward to seeing you guys in the real world very soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. All, all right, peace. <laughs>